0: City Church, anyone and everyone. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Joshua 3. We're going to be in verses 3 through 5, and I will read that out loud, but I'll give you a chance to get there. So, I'm going to give you a little context. So, here we are finding the Israelites, who are God's chosen people throughout the Old Testament. And they are finally coming out of their wandering in the wilderness. They have been wandering, wandering, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And God has delivered them from slavery and he has made a promise. He's made a covenant with them that he will deliver them to their promised land. And now here in Joshua 3, they are closer to the promised land than they have ever been before. But there is one more big obstacle in their way, and it's the Jordan River. And there's no way to get to the promised land without crossing that river. And so here we find the leaders of the tribe of Israel asking God for guidance, asking him what it is they're supposed to do with this new obstacle that has presented itself. And we're going to jump into the story as they are giving the people directions on what they heard from the Lord. So in Joshua 3, the leaders are saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have not been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it, Joshua told the people. He said, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And so I don't know how many of us can relate to the position that the Israelites, the people of Israel were in at this time. It's sort of like a knowing of where you want to be, a knowing of where you currently are isn't quite there, but like this uncertainty of like how you're going to get there, like how you're going to actually be able to cross over. And I think it's like that feeling of being stuck. And I don't know how familiar you how familiar you are with feeling stuck. I don't know how welcoming you are of the feeling of being stuck, but I struggle with the feeling of being stuck. Um, I hate it actually. So we are newer to the Chicagoland area. We moved here from Michigan about two and a half years ago. And, you know, we've got little kids, and so we just haven't been able to make it downtown Chicago as much as I thought we were going to. And so we've recently been trying to, like, just get down there and, and be better about going. And so uh, we've started to take the train. And everyone's like, the train is so convenient. It's so great. Just take the train. There's, like, no issues. It's amazing. I've taken the train two times, and both time I got stuck. Okay, both times. And here's the thing about the train. You're on the train, there's, like, no information, okay? There's just, like, there's no one around, there's no people, I'm, like, checking the app, and I just, I need some information when I'm stuck. Like, being stuck without information makes it worse for me. So I'm on the train, the first time it was, like, a big stuck situation, and we had to, like, have somebody come and get us and pick us up and take us home because it wasn't going to move, and the second time it was just a little bit less of a stuck situation. Um, But I hate the feeling of being stuck. I get anxiety I start to panic I need to like figure out the situation I need to know what's going on like I'm stuck and I don't know if you have ever had that feeling I think some of our stuck stories are um, small stories and kind of funny things and inconvenient things but some of our stuck stories are big and they're hard and they're scary and they're ongoing Maybe you're stuck in in a broken relationship. Maybe you're stuck in, um, in a place of addiction. Maybe you're stuck in a health issue that you can't get out of. Maybe you're stuck in a dream that has died. Maybe you're stuck in missed expectations. Maybe you're stuck in this false sense of security and you don't even quite know how stuck you are, but you are really stuck. We don't like this feeling of being stuck. And I believe God wants to offer us the freedom of healing in those places today, and for our time this morning, that Jordan River, that represents whatever that stuck place thing feeling is for you. So what do we do? What do we do when we come face to face with our Jordan? I think when we look at what the Israelites did, the first is that we let God guide. We let him guide. That's what we see the Israelites did. If you notice in the directions in the scripture, the Ark of the Covenant it represented the presence of God. It signified that he was near. And in verses three and four, the Israelites are told to place the Ark of the Covenant before them and even keep it a certain distance ahead, not to get too close, not to fight for the lead with God's presence. And I think this piece about God's presence going before us and letting letting him guide us is really the key. You know, I... I think when I see an obstacle or when I see a problem, I just go into solve it mode. I problem solve, I analyze, I plan, I try to make it happen, I worry or overthink, and then at the very end of that like not great train, I decide to pray about it, right? And I think sometimes we're really good with letting God guide us in the really big decisions, like a big financial decision or a big family decision, or like and we go and we we pray and we talk to our community and we're we're seeking the Lord for direction for this big thing in our life. But I think we we go on sort of autopilot in our everyday moments and our everyday decisions in a much different way than how we approach sometimes the big decisions. And I think sometimes for us, letting God guide, letting his presence go before us, is this practice, this intentionality of inviting in the presence of God in each decision. Before your meeting, after you check your email, in the middle of the day, when you get up in the morning, When you have time in the afternoon, when you put your kids to bed, when you come home from work, when you're driving to that place, I think it's about inviting in the presence of God and switching off that mode of autopilot that we so easily get into and stepping back, not fighting for the lead, taking our decisions, our expectations, our choices, putting them on a backseat for a minute and inviting God in to be present. I think that's part of what it means for letting God lead, to thank him, to praise him, to remind ourselves of whatever situation we're in, whether it be big or small, this is who God says he is, and this is who he will be. And making that a part of our everyday lives, and it almost becomes instinctive for us. And when that happens, I think it will be easier to keep God's presence first. We usually hear that saying, like, don't put the cart before the horse. And now it's like, put, it, put the cart before the horse. Put the Ark of the Covenant before the people. Put God's presence in front of you. Maybe it's this year. Maybe it's this year that you resolve to let God go before you and to let him take the lead. The next thing that Israelites did is they prepared for God. So they let him guide, and then they prepared for him. Verse 5 talks about this idea of consecration, which is basically a series of activities that Israelites engaged in in order to anticipate that God was going to perform a miracle. They got themselves ready for him to do something big. They prepared themselves for who they knew God would be, not the circumstances that they were in. And I think for us, we've got to adjust those expectations. We have got to adjust those expectations. I think sometimes that's what the consecration part looks like for us. We have got to make space and get ourselves out of the way for what God wants to do. You know, we talked about there's this series of, in prayer about prayer coming up. And I think for some of us, it's really looking at our lives and looking what's filling the spaces of our lives, what's filling our time, what's filling our thoughts, what's filling our choices and our opportunities. And it's going to be about saying no to some things so that we can say yes to God. Looking at, man, how busy have I gotten? Why am I this busy? Why do I feel the need, the compulsion to fill my calendar every single night, every single weekend? What is it that I'm afraid of rising up if there's some silence or a solo time? What are the things that I'm running to to cope with stress or anxiety or fear or brokenness? What is it? Is it the screen time? Is it the Netflix? Is it, like, what, are, what are those things that like, I'm running to and filling my time with? What are those relationships that I'm, that I'm going to to get some relief or to be able to cope because I don't want to be left alone with myself? Where are some of the places that I'm saying yes to instead of saying yes to God and I'm letting those things fill my time and fill my space? Because it's in those places that we might need to identify areas where I'm going to say no to something so I have room to say yes to God. Because when our life is full of our own expectations, our own choices, our own decisions, all the things that we just think will help us feel better or do us some good or get us where we need to go or move us ahead, we crowd out the opportunity to prepare ourselves for what God wants to do because we're so busy taking care of it ourselves. And we think we're taking care of it ourselves, but But we're not fully accessing all that God has for us, all the best that he has for us, because we're too busy just operating in our own realm of what we think we need, of what our expectations tell us we need to get, of what it is our right that we're holding on to. You know, I talked um, about my control earlier, about like being stuck and not being in control. And control is like really a thing for me. So um, I grew up, like, very sheltered, very sheltered. My favorite show was Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. And when it went off the air, I literally cried. Saturday nights at my house were chips and cheese and sour cream and Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. And that's, like, what we did. I mean, and when it went off the air, I was like, this part of my childhood is gone, and I don't know what to do without this piece of it. Like, It's ridiculous. So when I went to college, it was a really big deal because I was the oldest in my family. We were of a very sheltered childhood and this whole new world, it was just completely different. And so I remember Something got mixed up with my housing application. And so I wasn't able to live in a dorm. I was supposed to commute. So I went to go live with this like family of family who I didn't really know very well, like in their basement until I could move on to campus. And I'm driving into campus and I'm commuting in, and it wasn't really a commuting-friendly college. So there wasn't a lot of parking. And the first day of classes, I just couldn't find a parking spot. And I had worked up all I had these little map quest directions printed out for like everywhere I needed to go to like Meyer and to cl- I mean, it was just, it was too much. And I had worked myself up so much and my class was starting and I couldn't find a parking spot and I'm Bria and I get to class on time and I like do the job and I'm not late and I just pull into the campus safety office and just start bawling to the lady at the front desk and she's like, honey, sit down. We're going to help you. Like my sense of control, my sense of security was gone. And I had to figure that out on my own. And it made so much anxiety and so much panic in me that I realized that that idea of control was a thing for me. That control was taking up so much space in my life that when I didn't have it, I literally didn't know how to operate. And so when we say that we want to prepare for God to move in a big way, if we're too busy holding on to the things that we think we need, holding on to the expectations that we need to have and not like with a white knuckle, then we know that those are the things that are taking up too much space. It's not about the stuff that, that we can easily let go of. It's about the stuff that's hard to let go of, that we really want to hold on to. My control was getting in the way of God and I was feeling my own need for safety and security with that control. And honestly, control has been something that I need to revisit in, in every area of my life because it's a vulnerable area for me. So, you know, freaking out about parking might not be your thing. But what is it for you? What what is it? What's your thing, the thing that you're holding on to? What is is your escape? What's your plan? What are your expectations? What's the stuff that you're going to to, like, meet your needs that isn't God? And all that distraction, all of that busyness. We've got to figure out how to say no to those things so we can say yes to to God and to prepare to experience him in a big way. So what did the Israelites do? They, um, they let God guide, and they prepared to experience him instead of experiencing what they had for themselves. All right, so let's jump back into Joshua 3 and see where we land now. We're going to look at verse 8 and then verse 13. So Joshua continued to say, Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Go and stand in the river. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Okay. So let's just like circle back here on like what's really happening. So this is the biggest obstacle that they are ever going to face, that they have faced so far. And the Jordan River isn't just like a big river. It's not like a creek or a stream. This is a river. And it is a raging river because at this season of time, the Jordan River is the highest and the most dangerous that it will ever be during any season. So what the Lord is saying is, you want to cross over? I want you to march right up to that thing. That big, scary, hard obstacle. That thing that you can't get around, you can't go under, you can only go through. And the way that I'm going to move you through it is when you have to put your foot in first. And can you imagine what the Israelites thought as they held their kids and their stuff and everything? that? Can you imagine what they thought? Like, I'm supposed to go and do what? No, 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 no. No, God, I put you before me. I I let you lead me here. And then I got ready for what you were going to do, not what I'm going to do. Like, this is about you. This isn't about me. But the Lord said, You gotta march right up to that river, those raging waters, that big scary thing, and you gotta put your foot in first. And who did he tell to even lead the way? The priests, the leaders. They had to participate, they had to put their feet in first and pave a way for the people to do the same thing. And how many times have you felt like this? Like there is just something stuck. There is this thing that you cannot move forward from and and as much as you want to get around it and as much as you want to avoid it and as much as you want to pretend like it's not there, you've just got to go through it. You've got to cross over it or you're not going to be able to move at any point. But you don't know how and you don't know where to start and you feel like you're just stacking more on top and on top and on top of you and you don't know how to get through it. You think this is crazy. We might drown. But look how the Israelites responded. In verse 15, 16 and 17, it says, As soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from the upstream stopped flowing, and it piled up in a heap a great distance away. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation, all the people, had completed crossing on dry ground. The last thing the Israelites did is they participated. You can let God guide you and you can prepare for him, but if you do not participate in the difficult things of what he's asking to do, you'll be stuck. This was the deal breaker. We, we had to participate with God. I don't know if it's stuck financially and it's something that you need to reach out for help with budget counseling. I don't know if you're wrapped up in addiction. Those pain meds aren't really for the pain anymore and you need to tell someone and ask for help. I don't know if it's being real with somebody about where you really are in your life before you can move ahead or letting go of something you've been holding on to. And these are big and hard and scary things, but honestly, they are the next right thing. And so what does it look like to do this as a community? What does it look like to march right up to the waters of our marriages, of our relationships, of our finances, of our calling, of our work, and put our feet in? What does that look like for us? And and why is participation so challenging? Like, what is the thing that keeps us so stuck? If we know that it's about participation and if we know that God is there to meet us, what is it that keeps us on this side of the Jordan? What is it that keeps us from marching right up and putting our feet in the water? You know, I think this can be just really vulnerable. I, I, think, that, I think the enemy knows that if we participate with God in moving through our brokenness and get to our breakthrough, he he knows that that will mean that we are more authentically whole and who we are created to be. And when there are a bunch of people who are authentically whole and living out their lives as they were created to live, the kingdom of God moves forward. Change happens, redemption happens, and restoration happens. So the enemy wants to keep each of us individuals on the other side of our Jordan so that we don't ever move through to the other side. So the Power of God is not fully realized in us, and it doesn't flow through us. The enemy wants to keep us in a place of confusion, of fog, of, of blurred lines, of insecurity, and of not understanding our calling, and of distraction and delay, so that we never move forward on what it was we were created to do and who we were created to be. Do you know that you all have a purpose? Do you know that you have a purpose that is so great and so just for you that? that if you don't do it, God's going to have to find someone else to get that done. Do you understand that that purpose is so, is so uh, personal to you that it's not just about your own healing and your own breakthrough. It's about what the Lord is accomplishing for eternity right here on earth. Do you know that you have a part and a place in that story and that staying on this side of the Jordan isn't just about you. It is about the story that you are a part of that is so much bigger and so much greater and so much beautiful than you can even, Imagine. You have a purpose. And as we approach 2024, man, my prayer for you is that you cross over into your purpose, that you cross over to that scary thing, that you march right up to those water's edge and you put your foot in because you have a purpose. You know, when I think about just what that's been like for me in my life, in my 20s, the raging Jordan was was my singleness. I was living in West Michigan, Um, I've talked about this before, Um, and I experienced all of my 20s single, and all my friends were married, and then they had their first kid, and they had their second kid, and I was still single, and I was like going on blind dates, and doing like internet dating, and it was awful, and I have all these stories that I'm sure will show up, some guy kayaked down to date, it was just, it's a lot, so, and I was like, Lord, Lord what is this? Like you made me to be a mom and a wife. And like, I don't understand, like it isn't happening. I can't make it happen. And I was just bitter um, and like depressed about it. And, And I was not in a good place. And I had to recognize that I had to participate in what God had in front of me. I had to participate in that Jordan River. And no, that did not mean going and dating a bunch of people. It meant I had to live my single life. Instead of trying to avoid it or fix it or change it or complain about it, I had to be fully present in whatever it was that God put me in. And I had to march up to that river of singleness and put my foot in and say, this is where we are. This is what we're doing. And so I'm going to live this life and I'm gonna see what the Lord has for me, and I'm gonna serve other people, and I'm gonna be part of other families, and I'm gonna use this time to learn and develop relationships that that I maybe wouldn't have time for would look different in this season, and I'm gonna participate in the life that God has put in front of me now. And you know, you know I had a list, a list of what I thought marriage was gonna look like, or what I thought my husband was gonna look like. I had a list. And do you know what? Do you know? (laughs) That's right, that's right. Do you know that if I would not have participated in the life that I had, instead of participating in the expectations of what I wanted my life to be, I would have missed the opportunity right in front of me of what God was really doing. Because although he checks all the boxes, those are different boxes than the ones I had originally, if we can get real today. And you know, God knew (laughs) that those were the boxes that I needed and not the ones I thought I needed for myself. It's it's testimony right there, you guys. It's testimony. That was my 20s. In my 30s, uh, participating in the Jordan for me, putting my foot in looked like navigating this whole situation of church and spiritual abuse that I experienced so unexpectedly. That I had been a part of a place for many, many years. I had been friends with a family who were like mentors. They were like family to me. And that what participating looked like was experience, it was after experiencing such hurt and, and woundedness from church abuse and spiritual abuse from people that I so dearly loved and cared for, that when all that got really ugly and really toxic and I took a step back and, and took time to heal from that, that I'm, still, that I'm still participating in the healing from. But when the Lord called us to Forest City Church, that was really scary. Because I thought I was done. I thought that was it. And when he began to open up the story of Forest City and he began to show us that that part of healing means continuing to move, that those healing waters that he talks about in Ezekiel are for all of us to experience today, that that was really hard. And I think in some ways, I'm still living out my participation in the Jordan because being campus pastor as a woman and after experiencing that kind of just spiritual and church abuse is hard. And I have to participate from my weakness and from my vulnerability and from the places that people told me I could never do and I was never good enough for. And I know that being a woman campus pastor sometimes is different than, than what we all think or what we think about how a man would do it or, or the traditional roles that we grew up with. But participating for me means even where I feel incompetent, even where where I feel afraid, even where I feel not good enough, even where I feel like I'm not the right person for that, is participating in what it is that God is calling me to do right out of my weakness and wearing those things like a badge of honor as opposed to something that I'm trying to avoid. It is going right up to those raging waters and putting your foot in and participating in what it is that God has for you. And so I wonder, I wonder what that is for you. I wonder when you look at your life, what that is that God might be prompting you, asking you, and you're just like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. That's too much, or it's too hard. or I'd rather just avoid it and wait for it to go away. I wonder what it would be like if you were able to cross over in places that you haven't been able to cross over before. Because if we as a community continue to march right up to those raging waters in our marriages or our finances or our relationships or our lives or wherever it is, God is waiting to release power and miracles. He is waiting to pave the way. And I know so many of you, I know even just being a part of this campus for you, it is your second try on church. It is your last chance. It is the I'll try this one more time. And if it doesn't work, I'm out. And I'm so proud and honored, and I just hold space um, for all the people here who have shown up again and again and again, where participating in church is putting their foot in to the Jordan, is choosing to trust again, is choosing to take a risk, is participating in what God has in front of them. And I just wonder, what if we are continue to be a community of people who don't back away from those difficult things, but who march right up to those places and put our feet in, individually and as a community? What what would it be like if we embraced the hard stuff, the scary stuff, that we didn't avoid it or explain it away or, or distract ourselves or live in denial, but we marched right up to those places, not because of us, but because of Jesus, but because there is a God who is waiting there saying, When you participate, I will meet you in a way that you could never have done yourself. I will part those waters. I will make a way. I will deliver you to the other side. I want you to experience fullness and healing and freedom. This is life in Jesus. This is life in Jesus. What if we didn't just do church together, but we participated in what it is God is doing? I think it can be easy to keep the focus on us and what we need to do. Um, And while that has its place, that's not where things end today. Because we learn about God from this crossing the Jordan experience, not just about ourselves. In Joshua 4, I'm just going to read this for you. It says, He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And so you might always fear the Lord. Just like we talked about before with your purpose and it's being a part of a bigger story, there is a bigger story of what God is accomplishing in you and through you. And he did this for the Israelites so that we would look back on this story and we would see God's deliverance and we would see his character and we would see his truth and his promise. There is a bigger story. And yes, the Israelites were God's chosen people during this time. But he has extended that invitation of being chosen and of knowing him and of having access to his power. He has extended that to all people. He wants to deliver all of us. And whatever it is that you are struggling with here, whatever it is that is the thing that you can't move past, God doesn't want to just deliver you from that. He wants to use that as an opportunity to show more of who he is so that more people may come to know him. I had very, very good friends. I actually talked about her a couple weeks ago, and she was the girl that waved to me in my new church, and I didn't think she was waving to me. Well, we were friends for a long, long time, and um, she had a little boy named Ivor. And Ivor unexpectedly came a couple weeks early, um, like very suddenly, and they rushed him to the hospital, um, but he didn't make it. And I was there uh, with, with her and her husband at the hospital. I held Ivor. I was with them as they walked through this experience. And after Ivor passed away and after they continued to grieve just that, that unexplainable loss, they created this opportunity the next year on his birthday called Ivers Day. And they invited their community and they invited their friends to on his day to celebrate his life, to do an act of kindness or something good or something beautiful for someone in their community. And do you know that the next year on his birthday, social media was flooded by people who were bringing cupcakes to the homeless shelter or doing nice things for other people, paying for people's Starbucks or gas or or operating in acts of kindness, delivering cookies to their neighbors, helping out the elderly, volunteering somewhere. And it all said, hashtag Ivor's Day. And it was just this beautiful story of how this couple, this family decided to approach this loss, this huge thing that they were dealing with and grieving and working through and how they turned it around to be such a story of light and goodness and how when people heard that story, they thought that's not how that's supposed to go. That isn't what you do after you lose a child. That doesn't make any sense. What would motivate them to move forward in that way? What would give them the grace or the strength to be able to to honor their son's story in this way? And when you look at something that someone is experiencing and it's going away that it shouldn't go here on earth, but you're seeing this eternal, this additional level of beauty and light and goodness and faithfulness, that is the truth of Jesus. That is the promise of Jesus. And when people heard that story, it was such a testament to who he is and to what he is about because of this couple who was participating in the hardest, ugliest thing they ever had to walk through, but allowing God to use it in a way that they would have never been able to do on their own. And that doesn't mean that it wasn't hard or devastating or something they have to revisit year after year after year as we remember him. But it was this opportunity to, to participate with God and to become a part of a bigger story that ministered the light of Jesus to people when they looked at that and thought, this isn't how this is supposed to go. You see, God wants all people to know him. And that means he wants to deliver all people into freedom and into healing. And that might not always look what we think like it's going to look like here on earth, but we participate with him so that the story of who he is may be known by all people. You see, with Jesus, crossing over isn't just possible. It is a promise. God cut through the Jordan River to represent a covenant that he had made with his people years before. Where he promised to cut through anything to get to them. He will cut through anything to love you and to deliver you. And the promised land for the Israelites, it was security for a people who never had a real home. It was freedom from their bondage. It was rest from their tireless wandering in the wilderness. It was God's best for them. It was his promise. And he wants that same promise, that same best fulfilled in your life. Like raging river, done. He says, I've got that. Whatever seems impossible, possible with Jesus. He wants that same promise fulfilled in your life, and he will cut through your pain. He will cut through your brokenness. He will cut through your sense of security, your false one. He will cut through your sin. The Lord of all the earth, he wants you to be delivered, and he wants you to experience promise. And wherever people are experiencing freedom and healing and deliverance and wholeness, that's God saying, I found a way to get to you. God is He is looking around the earth. He is looking at his people and he is looking for hearts who are open for him. He is ready. He is waiting. He is not holding anything back from you. He's not making a situation more difficult for you. He's not punishing you for something you did. He is holding himself back and he is ready and he is waiting to come in and cut through whatever it is you're experiencing so you can know his love and his healing and his freedom. That's who he is. That's who he's always been. And he is waiting for your yes. He is waiting for your invitation. He is waiting for your decision, not just to accept him into your heart. Sort of build this little Lego house as I always imagined it as a kid when you invite him into your heart to live. No, he is waiting for the invitation into your life. He is waiting for the invitation to take whatever it is you're experiencing and to turn it around. He is waiting for the yes. He is waiting for the surrender. He is waiting for the letting go. He is waiting for the, I didn't think it was gonna go this way, but here we are. And so God, it is yours. I'm yours. When we sing, you are worthy of it all. When we sing, open our heart. When we say all the glory to you, we are saying, God, whatever it is that you are doing in my life, I just, I yield to you. I, I let you in. I give it over to what you are doing. And I believe that whatever it is you have for me, although um, in earthly terms, it may not work out. it may The math might not check out of what I think it should be. I believe that you are redeeming my story. And my story is part of the story that you are redeeming in this world. And that is enough. So I will let you guide me I will prepare for what you're going to do. And I will participate in whatever it is that is in front of me, knowing that you are a God who is waiting to cut through all the mess just to get to me. So if you look ahead to 2024 and you just see a hopelessness and mess and, and stress and anxiety and more burden and more heaviness, you remember that you know a God who is longing to get to you. He's not holding something back from you. He's not keeping himself from you. He's not waiting for you to be perfect. He is longing for your yes. And sometimes that yes looks like letting go letting go of the stuff that we think we need to have a life of meaning and of wholeness and allowing God to do what it is that he wants to do in us that will bring us more wholeness and more goodness than we could have ever hoped or imagined. Not only is there nothing that can keep God from getting to you, the good news is that it's in Jesus that this truth is realized. Because of Jesus, God has already made a way for you and made a way for you to cross over. Jesus entered our world and he encountered his own Jordan for us. He crossed over literal death and hell so that we wouldn't have to. It is the ultimate cutting through. It is the ultimate deliverance. And when he rose to life again, he forever conquered whatever that thing is in front of you. He conquered that and he conquered death. He paved the way for a place of security and freedom, and he crossed over first so that you wouldn't have to lead the way. And that is the good news of Jesus. When we say Jesus is with us, we remember that he is present and that he is longing to deliver us to places of healing and freedom and security and wholeness. So I want you to think about your Jordan this morning. What does it look like for you to walk through with Jesus? Do you need to reach out for help? Is it walking away from a relationship? Is it releasing the thing that you're holding on to? Is it trusting him with the reality of your pain? Is it having a conversation? Is it taking care of some unfinished business? Is it confronting something that you've been avoiding? Is it humbling yourself in a new way? Is it taking the risk of letting go of something that you never let go of because you thought it was too risky? What is your Jordan today? What is it that thing that you are faced with in 2024? That unsolved thing, that too big thing that it's got me stuck thing. And I want you as you face that thing to know that Jesus is right there in the middle of your difficulty. He is in those raging waters. And he says, look, look, the waters are parted. There is a way for you. You are not alone. The victory is already won. The ground is dry and clear. Come in, step in, participate. Come to me for your freedom and for your security and for your rest. These aren't just words that we say and sound good ideas, they are real promises of a God who loves you. Come to Jesus as we head into 2024. Participate with him, find him in those raging waters and let's fix our eyes on him, put one foot in at a time and know that he is there and he is waiting and church, we are in it together. We are here for each other. You don't bear this alone. You are not alone. That's what true community is. And I'm so grateful for so many of you that are already participating. I'm expectant for what it is that God is going to do next. And I'm I'm thankful and comforted that no matter what, we are doing it together. Sherry, we're doing it together. Jasmine, we're doing it together. Helena, we're doing it together. We are in it together. Vanessa, we're together. Mims, we're together. We're doing it together. I love you all. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we ask God that you would not allow us to move out of the discomfort too soon. That as we think about those things in front of us that maybe no one else even knows, God, that you would not just let us avoid that place or distract from that place or explain away that place, but God, you would meet us right there even now, that you'd bring a sense of expectation, of anticipation of what you want to do. God, that you would remind us of who you are and of who this community is. And as we head into a new year, that there would be just a new sense of belonging and of um, of letting go. God, that you just would bring freedom, that your spirit would bring truth and promise and healing, that you would do something new in this place. And that as we navigate what our own participation looks like. As we navigate what it is to name our Jordan, as we navigate how to experience healing and freedom in you, that you would meet us right where we are and however we are. That you would speak words of truth and encouragement even right now to to your people. Holy Spirit, encourage the hearts of your people. Encourage the hearts of your people. Remind them of who you are. Give memories of your faithfulness and of your goodness. Ground us in your truth and in your character. And God, do something new. Do something new in us and through us. And that we would give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise as we experience what crossing over looks like, as we tell stories of crossing over, and as we are a community that embodies the crossing over that happens in Jesus. We love you so much. We could not do this without you. Keep us in your hand. Um, Keep us in your, your way. God, help us to experience the wholeness and authenticity and truth that is only found in you. We love you. We invite you in and we give you our yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.